Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human. All right, here we go. Hey, Clayton, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty sweet, Benny. How are you doing? Well, today is a real treat because guess what? We got two published authors on the podcast. Very two. excited. Two. Uh, one being Clayton Caswell and uh, the other being Joanna Connolly. So That's right. what a great treat. I didn't think that we would ever have one published author on, on the podcast. Turns out we always have one published author on the podcast and now we have two. So really sweet and support. But yeah, this is uh, actually just a really great podcast about storytelling and just how pervasive it is. And I'm really excited for people to get into it and listen to it. Yeah, I had a really nice time chatting with Joanna. You know, this is a person that lives with such clarity. It really blew my mind just how she lives with such purpose and just takes full responsibility for how she's going to live. And we talked about storytelling and compassion, agency. We talked about her media diet and, and how she's trying to make sense of the world in an emerging environment where technology is affecting media and how challenging that is. So there's actually a broad conversation uh, that occurs here that is gives us a lot of insight into, um, into Joanna. It was quite fascinating. Um, you know what else I found quite fascinating was the main character of one of the books shares the name of one of your children. And when you suggested that your child reads this book, what was the outcome of the suggestion, Clayton? Actually, very strange because I mentioned to Olivia, hey, I just recorded this podcast with this colleague and she writes books and they're on Amazon and and uh, I sent her the name of this book, which is C.J. Connolly, The Love I Could Have Had and her other book. Again, C.J. Connolly, The Love of My Other Life. So I mentioned these to Olivia and she said, oh, yeah, they're already in my queue to read. I just thought that was so strange. Such a small world, little moment. Like I know this author and my daughter doesn't know that I know this author. <laughs> and yet she has these books queued up to read in her Kindle Unlimited. I don't even know what to make of that. It was wild though. It is, uh, yeah, it's a really fun and interesting look into a uh, side of Joanna that I'm not super familiar with. I know that this part exists, but I didn't know to what extent. And so... Yeah, I just thought you two did a really great job of exploring all those things. And look, I don't want to drag this out longer than it needs to be. So let's take a listen to the podcast and then uh, Clayton and I can talk to you on the other side of it. Let's do it, Benny. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, folks. Uh, today, we're going to be having a chat with Joanna Connolly. And through that discussion, get a better sense of the people here in our company. We call this podcast Unpacking Chrysalis because we're learning about the experience of being here through the stories and lived experience of the people that we work with. So today we're welcoming Joanna to the podcast. How are you doing today, Joanna? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Clayton. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I'm pretty excited about this. You're, you're, the topic you picked is uh, a fascinating one for me, and it lends itself to so many tangents. So We'll see where this goes, but I, I know that there's going to just be a really interesting conversation here about this storytelling that you uh, that you've brought to us. So I'm really looking forward to this. So I'm looking at your profile here in in Connect, the software we use here. So you work in brand communications and content. That's uh, right. At, at IQ Metrics. Uh, and as part of the marketing team. But it says here you have a background in journalism and broadcasting and you grew up in the UK, which I can tell by your voice. And of course, I know you. It's not some mystery to me, but uh, choral singer, wine, travel, and yeah. a published author of two contemporary romance novels under the author name of, or the pen name of CJ Connolly. So that's you. How did you find yourself working at a software company in Canada? That's a great question. How did this happen? <laughs> like, how did my life end up here? What are you um, doing here? 
what am I doing here? I was I was a journalist in London, mostly on the sort of um, copy editing and, and being an editor side of things. And I had friends who moved over to Canada and I came and visited and fell in love with the place. And I figured, you know, I'll, I'll go to and spend a couple of years. It's going to be a lot of fun. Vancouver's a beautiful place. Mm. And so I was able to get my permanent resident visa from back in the UK. It took a few years, but then I was like, you know, I'll put my London journalism career on hold. And, oh. uh, you know, Vancouver's not really a, a newspaper media town, so I'm not going to mm. be able to do much here. And yeah. uh, and then I'll go back after a couple of years. And 14 years later, <laughs> here I still am now a dual British Canadian citizen. So I got my citizenship. And uh, yeah, I mean, Vancouver isn't much of a media town. I was able no. to to do media jobs for the first 11 years of that, um, but lots of different ones because I kept getting laid off because media is going down the tubes, as you know. So <laughs> eventually I was able to parlay it over to IQ Metrics. And this is my first like corporate communications and, and kind of content marketing role. So that's how that happened. Yeah, media down the tubes. I, I hope to I hope we get a moment to unpack that a little bit. Because that is something that's on my mind lately. Yeah. Um, and of course, it has implications. And so maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. I do have it actually kind of as a part of the outline. So I'm hoping to get to that. But um, but for now, your your topic that you picked, um, as I said, I always let the guests pick whatever they like, and then we just riff off of what comes to what comes to them, what they'd like to share. And you picked storytelling. Yeah. When I asked you to be on the podcast, and you said yes, I'll do that, and you wanted to talk about storytelling, what is it about storytelling that that you that made this so important to you today? I mean, storytelling is it plays such a huge part in my life. It's what I do for my day job. Uh, essentially, yeah. it's uh, it's what I do for my uh, significant side hustle that you previously mentioned. I am <laughs> a contemporary romance author. You know, for me, it's all day, every day storytelling. It really is pervasive in everybody's lives. I just don't think a lot of people necessarily consciously think of it that way. But, uh, you know, we are innately as humans, all storytellers, we all think in stories. And so, you know, in marketing, when we're trying to tell the story of what our company is, what our you know parent company is, what our software does, we try and always do it in terms of storytelling. I mean, that's why my role exists is to to mm. make that translation from what is this thing, this software or this service or this company as a group of people, and and what is the story behind it that makes it all worthwhile and and interesting. To, to our employees and to our clients. I mean, you're doing it yourself. You're telling all of our, our stories with these podcasts. Yeah, storytelling is pervasive. I, I was, um, you know, I, I guess just listening to you, I'm, I had this assumption that storytelling was really a deep root in your life and it was just something that you did. And it happens to manifest itself into a career, but it also, as you say, this, this side hustle that you have, when you think about storytelling, what are you thinking about? I don't know that everybody really, I don't know that people spend time thinking about what storytelling is. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how you would describe that? I don't. And the reason is yeah. because there is so many different kinds of storytelling. So there's, you know, the storytelling that I write novels. I mean, that's a super straightforward yeah. way of storytelling. I made up a story and I told it, you know. And then when we talk about um, storytelling in terms of, say, brand storytelling and some of the marketing work I'm doing, we figure out like, what the uh, what the hero of the story of our brand is, which, by the oh. way, is not us. It's our client. Right. You know, we are the guide that it enables them to get through their adventure of, you know, are they having terrible trouble with their customer experience in their telecom retail stores? You know, that's right. the challenge they're up against. You know, they're climbing this mountain and we're the, the Sherpa that can get them to the happy ending that right. they're trying to get to. So that's the story structure in terms of marketing. But mm. then I also think of it in terms of, you know, how I think about my life. And I think a lot of people do this and just don't 
really realize it's storytelling. I mean, I, I look back at wanting to become a journalist when I was a kid and I didn't say I want to be a journalist. This is what I'm going to do. I imagined myself in yeah. those London newsrooms, you know, jet setting from wow. press conference to press conference, meeting interesting people. I was telling myself a story. So all of my ambitions and my life goals have all been stories that I've told myself. And I think that that's true for many people. We just don't necessarily think of it as, as storytelling. And then there's all kinds of other types of storytelling, community storytelling, yeah. you know, the, t the stories that you tell your kids about their grandparents. I mean, there's just, hmm. you know, storytelling is myriad. So you can't describe storytelling in one thing. Yeah. That is probably exactly what I was thinking about this this thing of trying to define storytelling. There's a there's a common thread, of course, in it within a narrative and even these different arcs that you share, you know, in this fictional novel you wrote to that you've written and published, but also I even noticed like this clear narrative, the hero's journey that you talked about in the marketing. And that's actually new to me. I, I, I realize how unclear I am about the narrative of storytelling within marketing. That is I didn't realize it it's essentially the same thing or it's a version of the same thing. It's absolutely the same thing. You know, you can huh. equate like um, our client as being Luke Skywalker and we are Yoda. And, you know, we've got the sort of Darth Vader of the terrible problems, you know, the disconnected customer journey that we're trying to vanquish. And I mean, you can apply this hero's story that you see in movies and read in books every day to any of these uh, marketing problems, right? Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I'm curious about this, to go back a little bit into your story, this genesis of your storytelling. When did you notice you were a storyteller? Um, how did this I mean, emerge I was, for you? Yeah, I was really young. Um, I mean, my mom was, is a wonderful yeah storyteller I definitely get it from her I mean she was just ah. the greatest like at reading the bedtime stories and and even now she'll t she'll like tell me over the course of a two-hour dinner the plot of a book from start to finish that she, she's wow. just read she, she <laughs> the detail is amazing so I get it from her and and you know when I was about nine or ten I was given a typewriter um, and mm. so on an old-fashioned typewriter I wrote like a 10,000 yeah. word story that I sent into the local newspaper and of course they couldn't publish it because you know it's a kid's yeah. story and it would take up the entire newspaper but they offered me a day they offered me a day at the newspaper so I was like their youngest ever like work experience wow. kid um, and you know I knew I wanted to be a journalist from that moment and and yeah. so yeah it, it started very young yeah before I was 10. That's fascinating. What does storytelling do for you as a person? I mean, I have all of these stories in my head and always have done. I've always been a huge daydreamer. So it's the release of that. Uh -huh. Like, I, I often describe it as a story is like itching inside my brain. It's like tapping, like needs to get out. So I have to, I have to express these stories and that's why I started writing I actually hadn't intended and when I mean writing novels and and I hadn't intended to become a novelist because you know I've got a perfectly good career that I really enjoy um but uh, it was just because I had a really big story that was scratching so hard I had to get the full thing out yeah. Um, and then I thought, you know, this is pretty good. I'll see if I can get it published. Um, yeah. And it all happened a bit accidentally. That is pretty fascinating how pervasive storytelling just is in your life. As I was imagining, it's this deep root within you and it's just kind of a, a, a real part of who you are. And then it manifests into professional work and this side hustle. And then as you say, at, at the dinner table with your mom, <laughs> where oh, yeah. she's doing a, sharing a narrative with you uh, uh, over dinner. That is really integrated into your life. And yeah. that is, um, that's pretty fascinating. How did this book come about then? So you've published a couple of books. What was that process like for you? Or how did that even come to be something that you chose to do? And there's so many barriers to this. Like I said, I wasn't expecting it. I wrote this story that itched to get out of me over the course of maybe 18 months. I realized that it was like a pretty good commercial story, you know, uh, that I could probably like beat into shape. And I thought, well, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, you know, happily single and child free. I've got my weekends to myself. Like I'm not doing anything better with my time. And so I thought, you know, I'll just kind of 
edit it and see if I can make it something decent and started going to um, novel writing crafts sort of sessions and workshops and conferences after I'd written this very long very rough first draft and learned then the important techniques of novel writing and all the things I'd done wrong and got some some feedback and so on and then I thought well I'm not going to self-publish um you know self-publishing is great lots of excellent authors self-publish but it's also full of people that haven't really got a good product who've self-published. And so it's flooded with, it, it, there's no gatekeeping to it. So you don't know whether your novel is publishable or not if yeah. you self-publish. Uh, plus, it's a lot of work to have uh, any success there. You have to do all of your own marketing and covers and so on. And I just didn't feel I had the time for that as well. So I thought yeah. I will try and get an agent uh, because if you get, traditionally published by a publisher you really need an agent to get you in the door mm. i'll try and get an agent if i can't get an agent i'm going to give up that's it and and no you know no harm no foul but uh i did get an agent so i'm represented by a big agency in new york and then it was her job to sell it to a publisher so i'm, right. I'm I was sort of hands off after that so that's kind of how it happened i mean it took me 18 months to get an agent it took another 18 months for us to get a book deal um, and and so on. So it's a very slow process. Right. Um, but uh, once I've got my agent, my publisher in place, it then becomes a much quicker process. They'll publish my books as quickly as I can churn them out. So I've got a third one coming out this summer, actually. Not right. Wow. Yeah. Prolific. Uh, well, prolific in my sense. Probably maybe for you, it's not. <laughs> yeah, not not especially no. actually, because it's you know <laughs> been a long time coming to this point. So the practice of writing is um, something that I find quite challenging. I have a couple of published uh, journal articles, I guess, uh, yeah. uh, academic journal articles that I've published, uh, co-authored with uh, a couple of professors here in Canada. And even that process was quite challenging. The number of iterations, the, the process is um, not what I expected. Uh, it's much more, much more intense than I expected way more iterations but anyways that's a technical paper i guess uh, about uh, a company but what uh how would you describe the process for you of these these stories that are issuing to get out do they just flow out of you and then your editor pushes yeah. back on you or how do you get to this <laughs> how do you land that plane they do like i, I sort of feel a bit bad um saying that they flow out of me because I know a lot of writers struggle with writer's block and and whatever. I've actually <laughs> never had a single moment of writer's block. Like once I know my story, like it's just coming out. What I do though is I plot mm. from beginning to end. So yeah. I will spend like a couple of weeks um, like with this last book, for example, it took me basically a full year to do. So the okay. Christmas vacation before the one we just had, I spent those two weeks plotting each chapter. So I'd have like a couple of lines like this is the thing that's going to happen here and figuring out the narrative structure. So in this yeah. case, it's alternate present day and flashback chapters. So I know what I'm going to write in each chapter. So then I just start writing and I'll probably write mm. all the present day chapters so that the flow of what's happening oh, okay. is correct. And then all of the flashback chapters, all the other way around oh. um, and then copy paste um, right. so that they're all in the order that I've I've figured out. But in terms of writing that flow, I already know what's happening in each scene. So all I have to do is. Yeah use my imagination of what would they say here? What would the response be? Where would they go? You know, yeah. and it just, it just comes out. It, what, what I struggle with is just finding enough time to do it. I don't do yeah. it evenings. I've been writing all day. I can't, I have to sit in front of Netflix yeah. or something else in the evenings. <laughs> right. So I just do it weekends. And, uh, and then of course it takes up a lot of my weekends. So I'm actually on a writing break right now because I need to right. do other things with my life than just write. Yeah, that makes sense. You need to recharge the battery, so to speak. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the methodology with which you create your narratives. Is there a way to describe your method? Yeah, not really. I mean, I couldn't write high fantasy because it's wildly complex. And you, I mean, you need to have like a cork board, like with yeah. all of the different things. And I mean, the world building is, is incredible yeah. and much too much for me. Like, that's just not what 
that's not the kind of writer I am. You know, I, I, I write unusual contemporary romances because all three of my books are multiverse <laughs> romances. So uh, so it might sound like high fantasy, but it, it really isn't. It's just <laughs> um, it's just like more like the sliding doors uh, genre of books. The if you're familiar with that movie, the like alternate mm-hmm. life, like what if this? Right. You know, so your life path splits where if you did or didn't meet this person or do this thing or whatever, and you find yeah. yourself in the other version of your life where you have no idea what's going on. So each of my three books has that in a different yeah. form or other. Um, so I do have some kind of complicated plot things to keep track of and make sure I'm not creating plot holes. But other mm-hmm. than that, it's, you know, in the real world or a slightly altered version of our real yeah. world that's not hard to keep track of. Mostly my like simple word document of my, you know, flashback narrative and my present day narrative or whatever form I've chosen. And my first book was two versions of the same person um, that switched uh-huh. lives um, in the alternate version of their lives kind of thing. So, um, you know, you have to keep track of some of those things but um other than that it's pretty simple to do in word and you know once i've figured out the plot it's just writing it so yeah you do make it sound relatively easy i mean (laughs) i i don't find it that much like that's fascinating yeah and you're selling these books that's fascinating your editor what what's that uh do they push back quite a lot on you or how does that you hear bad stories about this experience of, of the critique and the Honestly, I, th- I, I wish my editor would push back a bit more. I feel like she's a little lax. Right. They like the publishing company that I'm with are um, really interesting. They're a sort of modern digital um, publishing oh. company. So they they don't do book runs. My book isn't in stores. It's Amazon exclusive. Um, yeah. So, you know, fairly evil, but we'll have to let that go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they churn out books pretty quick because they're not doing book runs they don't have high overheads they're not sending me out on book tours there are no bookstores with my books in for me to go to so uh they they churn out these books pretty quick and and it's a it's a bit of a quick and dirty publishing process but it's becoming increasingly common because so many people are reading ebooks now or reading like via kindle unlimited subscriptions or those kinds of book subscriptions so um so it's a really successful model. And there are more and more of those kinds of publishing houses, you know, and the traditional Penguin Random House publishing houses of, you know, back in the day are, are kind of getting a little outdated now. I, one of the things I'm curious about, just from uh, being an author, are you nerdy about, well, not just an author, but just a person that's, that's interested in storytelling? I'm, I'm curious about the intention of your storytelling, but also what what drives it? So I kind of was thinking about, um, like, are, are you nerdy about language or are you trying to elicit emotions from people or does it do something for you? Do you just like unpacking complexity or exploring the unknown? Like what what is your thing with the storytelling? Well, my thing is this multiverse idea is um, yeah. it's about the fact that I'm an immigrant and it's about oh, um, wow. choosing different lives and making these life choices that I mean the the Joanna that didn't come to Vancouver the one that's still back in London (laughs) she's living a different life she has different friends you know yeah um so it's about my own journey and the journey that we all take through our lives that sort of zigzag of life choices and not even just choices but circumstance and accidental you know Mm. uh, happenings in your life that mean that you do one thing or another or you experience one thing or another you fall in love with one person or another um and and really i want to um get people thinking about that. I find that Mm. feedback on my reviews is often about like, wow, this really made me think about what my life might have been if this, you know, Mm. and, uh, and, and I love getting that reaction. And, you know, I, I just want to inspire people to, you know, be able to make that change. Like, look how dramatically different a life could be. If you just made one small change, you could go, off in a completely different tangent so you know never stop like pursuing all those paths to get to to where you want to be so it's intended to be 
escapist, but also like at least partly inspirational or at least reflective yeah. of, of for, for the readers themselves. I did not expect that. Not that I planned out what your answer might be, but that was no. fascinating. This multiverse, the application of your experience and your aspirations and your worldview uh, into this multiverse thing is uh, that is fascinating. I, I like how this. I think the utility of this multiverse emerging as a common narrative, um, it, it really lends itself a lot to authors these days and to to storytelling. And, yeah. and and that it's so common that the average person can kind of connect to it a little bit. Whereas, you That's know, right. probably 10, 20, 30 years ago, people were like, multi what? But <laughs> it's really being thrust into, you know, into our environment. And it's a really powerful uh, tool. Yeah, it yeah, is. And you don't see it much in contemporary romance, right? So it's normally the realm of sci-fi right. or, or that, or, yeah. you know, sort of comic book, you know, the Spider-Verse, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. it makes it, it, it just kind of gives me a little kind of uh, unique kind of, not completely unique, you know, you do get the sliding yeah. doors or the, the other um, kind of similar types of things, but uh, it's unusual in my romance genre. So, um, yeah. so I like that about it too. That's oh, fascinating. You know, you mentioned the phrase lived experience right at the top of this podcast. And mm -hmm. one of the things I'm passionate about is or really fascinated by is the idea, a very thorny subject of point of view and who gets to tell what stories and whether lived experience is essential. I mean, you know, when we talk about people that are writing high fantasy, lived experience is impossible. Right. Um, but when we're talking about stories that are based in the real world, there seems to be a, a lot of um, opinion out there, especially in reader land, about, about who's allowed to tell what stories. So I recently read a book right. called Yellow Face by R.F. Kwang, who um, uh, is a brilliant, brilliant writer, and it's a, a story of someone who um, takes on a different author, a dead author's um, uh, manuscript, um, mm. an Asian author's manuscript, and kind of pretends to maybe be Asian herself in order to right. be able to publish this book and the terrible situation that she gets herself into yeah. because of it. And and I was riveted by this novel because, you know, I'm often thinking about like what different points of view am I allowed to take on and my second oh. book had the female main character's point of view and the male main character's point of view alternating mm -hmm. but I'm not a guy I don't know what it feels like <laughs> to right. male identify um, yeah. but that's generally seen as okay because you know he was a white male <laughs> and I'm a right. white woman you know white yeah. cisgender heterosexual so right you know like that's okay but you know if he'd been black probably wouldn't have been okay you know right. so there's all these really interesting um discussions going on in in publishing and and storytelling in general it's like what's okay to tell and what lived yeah. experience do you have to have in order to tell a story yeah, that um, definitely gets into uh, a, a very emergent conversation that's really society-wide. Uh, well, of course, it's complicated. It's complex. and But I think the complexity for me is that it's evolving so quickly. I know at work here four years ago, five years ago, we, um, we got a respect in the workplace, training material put together for us uh, by an external agency. And then we turned it into, you know, we kind of made it more IQ metric C, uh, so to say, just by adding some of our language and putting some of our perspective into it. <clears throat> and when I started doing that, it's a three hour workshop. And when I started doing that, it's part of our onboarding process. But when I started doing that, uh, it felt like maybe we're kind of edgy and uh, maybe we're getting into areas that were just unclear. And then now I look back at that original draft and it's so simplistic and 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 the the common language and the common understanding of this situation in society has evolved so much that that first draft is like wow we missed so much stuff only because we weren't aware of it but and you can tell by the way i'm speaking about this it's a, it's a it's something that is um it's easy to misstep 
around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, yeah, you I'm have to you have to be a little bit careful even about talking about it, right? Um, yeah, because I don't want to um, inadvertently, uh, absent-mindedly say something that that won't hold up very well. But um, it's almost a bit as shameful an author, it's really tricky. Way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it is as an author, it's really tricky because you know you don't want to have a canon of work that is purely white, <laughs> cisgender, right. heterosexual, yeah. like no diversity. And yet at yeah. the same time, I'm not in the position, I have no lived experience of of being anything else. Um, right. So it's it's a tough, um, like tight rope to, to walk across to get that, you know, yeah. that balance right. You know, do you, I guess, relegate um, diversity <laughs> diverse characters other than white cisgender heterosexual to secondary yeah. characters that don't have a voice in your story that doesn't feel right yeah. either um yeah. so you know it's so it's so tricky and so some of the authors that have kind of taken that risk and written from a different point of view have mm. been hauled over the coals in the you know the court of public opinion and social media yeah for doing so, but you can see why they they did it and they've defended themselves with, I wanted to tell this important story. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's you know, very difficult to know after three books under my belt, like how do I vary this in any way? Right. And maybe I don't get to. And, you know, the, the idea should be that, you know, we only as white cisgender heterosexual authors, we only get to tell one story and then, you know, the people who do have that lived experience, it gives them space yeah. to tell their own stories. And that would be great if that were the case. And publishers actually had that balance on their lists. Um, yeah. And uh, and hopefully that's starting to happen a, a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a tricky, um, a tricky, tricky topic um, it is really for me tricky. to navigate. Why is it an important topic for you? It's important because, I mean, Diversity is so important. I mean, here at Chrysalis, yeah. you know, we value diversity so greatly, you know, um, and back that with a lot of real action. And that's something that I'm proud of as our company. And, and it's important in all of our lives. And so it feels wrong to me to not have mm -hmm. diversity in my books. So, yeah, right now it's characters that don't have a point of view voice um yeah. that i try and you know just um represent as best i can and um and i hope that i'm doing a decent, a decent job yeah. i don't know yeah at chrysalis in this respect in the workplace workshop for example when we talk about diversity and inclusion what we're trying to just help people understand is that diversity is a whole bunch of attributes it's a wide variety of things uh, not just maybe what has emerged in the media as what diversity is based on but more uh just looking around the table when you're making decisions and having discussions, uh, are there a wide variety of people sitting there in terms of uh, backgrounds, you know, genders, uh, as you, you know, you're, you're an immigrant. So are there different people at the table? And then inclusion, of course, is the act that we all take to take advantage of the diversity by integrating those people into the conversation. And that's mm -hmm. actually the tricky part, right? So it's not enough just to have different people there. You actually have to actively work to create space for each of those people to participate in the conversation. Yeah. And this is something that we talk about uh, to try to help people understand what we mean when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. And um, I would also point out that it goes back to that lived experience that we've that phrase that we've used a number of times now. <laughs> You yeah. know, because each of those people has such a you know potentially different lived experience of life or life at chrysalis and and That's what right. it's like to to work here, right? So you know, to, for them to share their story um, of yeah. of that lived experience is is essential. So like you say, it's not That's it's right. not enough just to have them sitting there. Obviously, uh, yeah, it's essential to listen. So that goes well, back we, to storytelling too. It really does. And, and and so so and what the idea is, is that each of us, because we have such a diverse background and lived experiences, everything that we're looking at, we look at slightly differently or very differently. So so when we're having a conversation about a customer, if you have a diverse group of people at that table from, let's say, different departments, um, they all have a different perspective on on what the opportunity is, what the problems that customer might be trying to solve, and then how a narrative might emerge about 
what we might do to, you know, create a great experience for that customer to to really support them to get to an outcome that they want. And the integration of these ideas comes naturally when you make space for people to to share, to share their perspective. The idea is that all the experiences you have create this lens that you look at and everybody's lens is different. And the more we can create space for people to participate in conversations and, and, and be comfortable sharing their perspective, the broader perspective that we'll get, which is valuable because then you get longer lasting solutions because the, the, the perspective that went into the solution is more intricate. So you're able to weave a better narrative about how to solve that problem. And then you can actually also share the narrative among the stakeholders internally because you have a really wonderful, thoughtful story about why this is important. And then it feels different to people. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to solve that problem because I see the quality of the, of the, of the story that we're telling about why it's important to share and my role in it. You know, I know diversity and inclusion is taking a real beating right now uh, in some uh, aspects, but I think it's a to me, it's it's kind of a misunderstanding of what um, the intention of of diversity and inclusion is, and it's kind of being weaponized, which is seems kind of inevitable in our you know the ultra connected world of you know of social media. But uh, I hope people understand what our intentions are around it yeah. because it's so powerful. You know, when you can see that narrative, and you as an individual can be more clear-minded about why the work you do is important and the impact of the work that you do, it just feels better and it's more meaningful to you. And the opposite is true. You know, it can pre it can feel really transactional when you don't understand the why or the what. And it's just here, do this, ship it this day, and thank you. But I totally agree. And you know, I mean I was talking earlier about how I have to turn everything into a story that we're doing here. And, and so mm. when you have all of that diversity of perspective and of diversity of thought um, and of lived experience, then that makes my job that much easier because I can tell a much richer and fuller story. Um, yeah. So I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. I love your curiosity about that. We can only control what we can do ourselves. And if we, you know, choose the path of compassion, then uh, that's, I think, the best that we can do, right? You know what I'm curious about getting your sense of is, you know, society and the current state of storytelling, journalism, social media, a person's media diet, and the effect. I'm curious, like, how you think about that, uh, but also how do you gather information? How do you sense make of the world? Yeah, I mean... You know, it's changed a lot for me over the years. I used to, when I was in London in my early days of the media career before, you know, um, before the media landscape really changed dramatically, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, I had a very different and very regular way of consuming news online, newspapers, all of that kind of thing. And, and as I moved to Vancouver and, and my career changed dramatically and I started moving towards content marketing and, and blogging and all of these different things, um, I think that my consumption of media changed uh, along with it because that's just the direction that uh, the media landscape is kind of going. And we all joined yeah. Facebook and Instagram and started, you that's know, right. getting our news on social media and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And, and so, you know, now as um, I would consider myself a brand journalist, you know, I consume news about the telecom industry and the retail industry and, and you know, the space in which mm. we operate. And I am um, a woeful under-consumer of regular daily global news because I find mm. it very, <laughs> very hard to... <sighs> If, if it's a reputable news organization, you know, um, then I find that the real news is so depressing, so awful that I have to <laughs> protect myself from it to a certain extent. Right. Um, and and I mean, I'm I'm a horrible um, 
sort of, uh, you know, sort of ostrich head in the sand kind of a person. Right. I like to create a bubble of utopia here in Vancouver. Um, oh. And not that Vancouver is perfect by any means, but um, I, I like to try and make my life as, as pretty and lovely as I possibly can. <laughs> so I write oh. these fantastical oh. romances and, and ignore the state of the world. So, you know, when I do see real news, it's depressing. And then there's so much that isn't real news, so much fake yeah. news and, and like misinformation yeah. that you don't even know what to trust when you're online and, you know, people lie. And and I mean, even now, you now we've got AI and generative AI. You don't even know what's been written by a person. You don't know what images are real. I mean, we can create any images that we want. We can put any face. We can deep fake. We can like yeah. we can do anything. So <laughs> you've just no idea yeah. what's what's true or what isn't. So I, I have a no not admirable tendency to to put my head in the sand um, about that stuff, which as a former yeah. journalist is a little embarrassing to admit, but I would admit to it. You know, admirable or not, I, I don't know <laughs> that that's judgeable. I think it's just a matter of self-awareness. And, yeah. uh, you know, I know for myself, when my media diet is too focused on what you're saying that you actively disengage with, um, it affects me and I yeah. notice it. it. My mental health, my worldview, it's all affected. Uh, by that. Well, you do a, a thing on Instagram, uh, people of IQ metrics. What brought that about? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit similar to this podcast right here, right? You know, it's yeah. the idea of um, humanizing um, yeah. our company and getting to know what makes our IQ metrics employees tick. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I noticed, I, I mean, we, we have what we call a brand journalism program. So our content management isn't just all about our software, it's about industry trends, but we also wanted it to be about the people um, yeah. in our company and hopefully users of our software and, and their customers and, and, you know, sort of always telling that, that story, no matter what the perspective. You know, we like to just ask simple questions, four or five questions. Who are you? What do you do? How did you come to us? You know, mm. what are you passionate about maybe outside of work? And, and what's something unique about you? And it's just a super quick Q&A blog post that we post to our, our blog page and yeah. share out on uh, on our social media, primarily our Instagram, which is more human focused than our other social media platforms. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's fun to chat to people. Selfishly, yeah. I often pick people, I'm like, they seem cool, and I don't get I don't know them very well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to invite them to be my interview subject, and then yeah. I can make friends with them. There are so many fascinating people here. This is one of the things that I've loved about working here. I've worked here for over 25 years, and uh, I'm employee number eight at IQ Metrics, and I just yeah, the experience of the people over the years has just been what has added so much energy to to me and, and the work that I do and and even my motivations for my work, but also just helping form my worldview. These people have been really important to me. Um, yeah. What have you noticed in this project? What have you noticed about the people doing this project? Well, I've noticed that we quietly have brilliant people that, yeah. you know, don't toot their own horn. Um, and, you know, all sorts of interesting perspectives and backgrounds. And I mean, so much like you only have to ask a couple of questions and then people yeah. will open up and tell you all about their background, kind of working in the banking industry in Brazil or like all sorts <laughs> of like crazy stuff that people have done. No. And, you know, it's just it's just wild that this the stuff that you would never know just by walking past someone's desk. You yeah. know, so like it's just opened my eyes to every single one of those people that are there on our Slack channel or on our Teams calls. Yeah. You know, they all have their own story to tell. It goes back to the the original topic of this this conversation. Everybody has their own life story, their own background, their own path that, that got them here. And we've all converged in our life paths to be working together at IQ metrics, but also yeah. have very different lives in many other aspects. So that that fascinates me, this idea of convergence and divergence of life paths um, and like coming together in space and time at the same moment, but then yeah. <laughs> splitting off again. Um, 
so I I love that and also just I mean it's such a selfish project personally too I'm not going to lie about that you know I was onboarded fully remotely and I've only really had mm-hmm. a little time coming in on Thursdays to the Vancouver office and you know I just haven't been able to get to know the people in the same way that I would have wanted to in the same way that you know in the before times pre covid <laughs> we we would have been able to you know um so i'm trying to create my own sense of belonging and it's been very important for me to to reach out to people to do that yeah it was such a beautiful place in the war times as you say like really quite extraordinary in in so many ways and because of the relationships that people had uh, with each other and you know with their work and with what we were doing as you describe uh, what you're noticing in your Instagram project, and obviously you're that too. Uh, just this really quietly fascinating person who has such an interesting story to share, and um, yeah, it's, we're surrounded by people like this. Yeah, everyone's got something going on. Yeah, that's interesting. Now that we've um, talked for a while, is there anything that we haven't said? There's other things. There's other new things we could talk about. I just I've had my eyes open to the machinery of the book publishing world and and yeah. how a story takes on a life of its own and the author has no um, like control <laughs> over right. it anymore. So I just thought that that's just a, a, an interesting thing that people don't know about that I've really yeah. had my I've been on that's a steep learning curve. Or is this yeah, you know. Um, so my first novel. Um, has had uh, audiobook rights sold. So it's an audiobook as well, published by a completely separate company by Spotify, actually. Um, And also the foreign rights um, language uh, rights for six or seven different languages. And these are completely separate publishers from my publisher. They're overseas publishers. And what's really fascinating to me about that is when you sell foreign rights and you have your book translated into other languages, um, for for one thing, for it to get to that point, you've got various different like literary agencies or sub agencies that are touting your book at at, um, international book fairs and and kind of trying to sell it on um, for foreign languages and other subsidiary rights, potentially, you know, film and movie rights and those kinds of things. And so it's all sorts of stuff is happening with your book that you're just like in no control of at all. (laughs) And then, you know, maybe they sell the rights on and, you know, you'd get a payment for that. but then it's completely out of your hands and it gets oh. translated into, um, you know, I've got like uh, Czech and um, and uh, Slovak versions mm. that they've sent me copies of and I can't read them. So I have no idea right. whether the translation is literal, whether right. it got anything got lost in translation, whether there were liberties oh, yeah. taken. I mean, like my main character's mores, name has like been like, <laughs> yeah, my main character's last name has been changed to a right. sort of Czech version of that name. Yeah. It's like, that's right. weird. I mean, that's just her name. And, you know, it's right. still set in New York. So why they would change her name is weird <laughs> to me. But whatever, whatever works for that market. And so right. it's, it's, really an interesting um, aspect of this kind of machinery of this much wider publishing world. And you you just have to like sign off and, and let your right. story be told in ways that works for whatever market that publisher wants to, to sell it into, you know. So it's yeah. been fascinating for me to see that side of things and yet have no control yeah. over it. I had this visual of you creating a little paper boat, putting it in a, in a little stream, and then all of a sudden it's in all these different tributaries. You have no idea what happens to it after no, that. It's gone. And uh, it's just gone. And uh, you've just come to peace with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote the, the original novel uh, because it was a story that was scratching inside my head, as I told you earlier. But when I put it out into the world and tried to get it published, it became yeah. a commercial venture, like a, right. a side hustle that I fully intended to see if I could 
make money yeah. from. You know, the yeah. creative piece was done. I'd written it. Like, I don't yeah. need a, any more creative input than writing it um, I... and, and, and being part of the editing process. You know, I'm very happy to have the professionals just take yeah. it on and do yeah. what they will. Like they they know better than me how to do all this stuff. So, um, so I I never had to make peace with it. It was all, always my intention, but so, I just didn't know about. I guess I didn't think about foreign rights or translation yeah. or like all of those um, additional things. You know, different agents all across Europe trying to sell them at different book fairs and like yeah. just all the machinations have really blown yeah. my mind. It's just so like that's concerning been... you, it's just really eye-opening. It's like, wow, yeah. there's a lot going on out there. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of just kind of super cool, and, uh, and I thought yeah. it was really interesting. Um, yeah. And, and it's the story takes on a life of its own. I guess that's the yeah. thing. It becomes, you know, it's a little bit like your, your, your book baby, you know, then it's your child yeah. that you push out into the world and it, yeah. it graduates, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, it's an adult yeah. story now and it's got yeah. its own life and it's yeah. doing its own thing. And, you know, um, so that's how I think of, of the books as uh, in different yeah. forms of whether I'm, you know, sort of birthing the story or, right. uh, you know, these are my children, right? Right. Um, <laughs> it's so fascinating how something so personal, which obviously writing a story is, and then you describe it, just it just goes on the world and it becomes its own entity and you kind of have to, um, well, you have to be aware of that. Or, or, well, I guess you don't have to be aware of that, but but it is an interesting truth. Uh, yeah. This thing leaves you and you create it very personal and it's intense yeah. and whatever it is but then it's out in the world and then the world gets to do with it what whatever it wants and then send you some yeah. royalty checks from time to time <laughs> hopefully um right. but what's interesting too is that it gets commercialized so it's very much like a monetary thing in the publishing phase but then it becomes personal again to whoever reads it you know oh, because yes. then they take on their own you know interpretation of the story and they write those reviews about what it meant to them and and it right. sort of has this circle of personal commercial yeah. and back to personal oh that's wild i i know i i mentioned earlier that i um co-authored a few papers so i get a annual you know a few two to five hundred dollars a year i guess on of royalties but what's really fascinating is that like, so we'll sell thousands of these papers a year, and um, sometimes they're translated into Mandarin. So hundreds and hundreds of them are translated into Mandarin, and then I get a little extra for that. I'm not <laughs> sure why, but um, just to think that there's 300 people last year that bought my uh, case study on in, in, in China. Or yeah. using it in Mandarin. It's just so interesting. It is. Um, it's amazing how this stuff works. Um, is it as good in that language? That's the thing. That's well, the thing I worry actually, about, right? Is it as good? <laughs> like in the nuances yeah. of language, is anything lost in translation? Something brilliant oh. that you wrote, like a beautiful line. Like, is yeah. it as beautiful? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you know, you're never gonna know. You're never gonna know. You will never know. But you know, yeah. of, of course, if you've read books that have been translated over the years different translations are so different of the mm -hmm. same root material yeah. it's it's quite incredible like if you read meditations by marcus aurelius you read three different ones it's like are these the same book <laughs> what's happening yeah. here like there is or even if you get into more um you know the english language has its um capacities but it's really limited in certain things like even expressing like love and emotions um mm. you get into a language that is more rooted in uh uh expressing and unpacking this idea of love and they've got dozens of words to yeah. express that they're probably doing a much more beautiful job of 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 this of getting at the subtlety of of your message even though they don't know your intentions. Maybe well, maybe, but they to. don't know my intention, right? If I but use the word know. love, like, That's have right. they picked the right one? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so they're so varied yeah. in, in it. Yeah. I I never realized how uh, I just thought translating a book, well, it just goes from one language to the other. And then it's no. just absolutely not true. There's the, the, the person translating has to put so much of themselves into the book, into the language. Uh, to contextualize it. I, yeah. These are all things I didn't know. Yeah. I guess we don't know most things. 
That's true. <laughs> That's true, Clayton. We don't know much things. Hey, could we do five rapid questions just to be sure? Let's again? do it. Okay. Uh, here they are. If you could be any fictional character for a day, who would it be? Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, because she's just my favorite. Oh, cliched, but I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but there's a reason it's a cliche. What a beautiful story. How about if I change that to forever? If you had to be that fictional character forever? Um, I mean, probably, yeah. She gets Mr. Darcy. So, <laughs> Same thing. You know. That's right. That's right. If you had to live <laughs> in a fictional movie for a day, which would which might you choose? Oh, goodness. I mean, I feel like you should have prepped me for these questions, Clayton, because this is a <laughs> I'm passionate about movies. This yeah, is a very hard question to answer. But, you I'm know, I mean, I so I guess my gut is is leaning me towards um, the sort of Star Wars universe, because I'm also mm -hmm. a bit of a kind of sci fi and Star Wars geek. Um, yeah. And, you know, the idea of being able to explore these other worlds. Um, oh. Yeah, I think it would have That's to be that. Awesome. That's awesome. How about, uh, do you have a place that you've been to or you go to where time suspends itself? I often take myself away on writing retreats. I like to change my environment. Um, so, you know, I, I take my laptop and I travel solo to, to places. Um, I, I went to Florence um, and wrote there for a few days. I, I loved the movie Room with a View and I booked a Room with a View in Florence. Yeah. And I actually had a roof terrace overlooking the Duomo. It was incredible. Wow. And I was writing part of my first novel from there. And it was very timeless and time stopping and, and it was a, that was a gorgeous few days yeah. so um so i might pick that one wow you live your life with purpose that is fascinating oh my goodness okay okay who or what never fails to make you belly laugh what do you find really funny oh gosh um uh the uk office Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a winner, not the American sure. one. I don't really like the no. American one so much, but the, the original UK one. Um, it is surprisingly, so, yeah, it's really funny. one or the other for people. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, 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 I'm a Brit through and through. So yeah. Okay, this one's about the last one. Would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors, or travel into the future to meet your descendants? Uh, future. Future. Yeah. Why? Because uh, there's an opportunity there to know what we don't otherwise otherwise know. I mean, mm. yeah, we haven't lived experience of back in time, but we have the history books. We kind of know yes. what what it was roughly like at each age. But to go right. into the future, like who could pass that opportunity up? I mean, yeah. Sweet. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I've had such a nice time chatting with you, Joanna, about this storytelling, and you've really helped me better understand uh, storytelling and why it's important to you and, and your view on it. It just isn't something I'm that aware of. So I really appreciate that. I hope you've had a nice time trying to share your sense of it with, with us. Yeah, thank you. Um, and absolutely, you know, I always love talking to you anyway, Clayton, and it it is a, a special treat for me to be able to talk to you at length about the topic I'm most passionate about. So I was already, I was super looking forward to this chat and it's uh, yeah. been everything that I wanted it to be. So thank you so much for that. Oh, I'm so glad. Uh, all right. What a fun listen that was. And I'm going to say it was a fun listen because, you know what, as someone who went to film school, I too love storytelling. And I guess sometimes I forget that. And this podcast reminded me of that. What else this podcast reminded me of is that it's time to do the seven degrees of chrysalis values. The part of the podcast where Clayton and I figure out how to tie someone's passion back to the company. We're all here for it. It's one of my favorite exercises that we do. So I'm just going to get it out of the way right off the top. And I'm going to say, listening to this podcast, 
having Clayton talk to Joanna, there was two things that really struck me. Joanna, just she gets autonomy, like to go out and do things. And nothing better illustrates that than when you listen to her talk mm-hmm. about where she fits in this the, the machine of being published. She trusts herself to do the job, to create the story. And then she also trusts all the other people around her in the process to do their jobs. And I think sometimes that's something that gets overlooked when we talk about self-organizing or autonomy and and that realm is that there's a a, a layer of trust and Joanna's just nailing that. Uh, Also, this is the first time I get to say this about any of the podcasts, like outright. Joanna is purpose-driven to like a T and it's amazing to see someone just illustrate that. In fact, it's so obvious that I think there's a point in the podcast, Clayton, where you just exclaimed oh you're so purpose-driven and what a what a great exercise it is for me to learn about my co-workers and then also get to tie it back to the company values yeah i was really awestruck by the extent to which she is purpose-driven this is a person who's really figured out who she is how she wants to live her life what gives her energy And she just puts herself in that position in her personal life, professional life, and it is so authentic and so sincere. I just, even the story about taking a a trip to Italy to do writing, it's so admirable and purposeful that she does it. And I I loved it. I was really energized by um, just spending time with Joanna and having her describe this way that she lives with such purpose. Not to get too sappy, but I just feel like every time we do one of these, I learn something about my coworkers. And then in turn, I feel like I try to apply something to my life. So if anyone's benefiting from this podcast, at least one person for sure is. And it's me, Benny B, just taking all the morals of the story. But that being said, just because I enjoy it doesn't mean everyone else does or doesn't enjoy it. And we would love to hear what you think about it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, as usual, ideas for a podcast, feel free to reach out to Clayton and myself and we will do our best to address them. Get you on the podcast if you want to be on the podcast. Hey, see you around, Clayton. All right. See you next time, Benny. Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human. Thank you.